0: Lord willing, I'm going to finish this this Vice and Virtue series next Sunday. Um, I don't have any plans to go beyond that. And if it works out, on the last Sunday of the month, we have several to baptize. Um, Chris uh, has asked about having a youth service. And um, we have several young people that want to share some testimonies about what God's done in their life this summer through the camp and, and through other areas. And so the last Sunday of the month, we're going we're to let the youth kind of just take charge of the service that day. And um, it'll also be a good day. I don't, I don't throw this out there often, but I am this morning. Um, if the Lord is leading you here, I'm, I don't push church membership, but we would like you to feel like more than a spectator. We would love for you to plug yourself in and find a place to serve um, within the church. So if the Lord is leading you to this place, if it's a place that you think you could call home and serve in. Um, the, the the church doors are always open for membership as well. Um, as people making professions of faith and following the Lord in baptism, if you'd like to become an official member, have a voice in the church, and be able to, um, to lead, teach, serve in any capacity, um, we'd love for you to consider that as well. If you've been saved and baptized... Um, Whatever, if you have confidence in your baptism in a previous church, we can, you can go by moving your membership or you can just go by faith in that previous baptism and we'll receive you that way. But I'm, if, I, if the Lord wills, I'm going to finish this series next week. You won't have to listen to it anymore. But when we talk about vices, um, some might call them seven deadly sins. Um, it is the root of all sinful fruit. A vice is ultimately what you can trace all sinful fruit back to Uh, If we if we if we tried to list all of the sins, it'd be a long, long, long list. Um, If we tried to deal with the individual sins in our life, which we should, but we'll spend a long time just picking fruit, um, rotten fruit. But if we deal with the root of that sin, um, we can conquer it more easily. So the the vices are when you when you boil them all down, all sin will fit under these categories. And by the same token, a virtue is the root of righteous fruit, good fruit. And if you, if you want to have a life that honors God, that glorifies God, if you want to bear good fruit in your life, then these virtues are the things that we need to try uh, to replant in our lives. So we, we, we root out the vice and we replant um, the virtue. So far, we've covered pride and humility and pride. If I had to make a list of... top of the list bottom of the list i'm not sure i could do that with the one exception of i think pride belongs at the top of every list when it comes to vices because i think ultimately um, pride is at the bottom root of every sin that we ever commit always has been and always will be it was the original sin that satan committed um, before he was booted out of heaven or lucifer at the time um, was that he got lifted up in his heart against the god who created him became proud in his heart exalted in himself so pride is the root. It's what he used to tempt Adam and Eve in the garden. And the corresponding virtue to that is humility, which may be the fruit of all good. I'm certain of this. The Bible said God stands against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we're going to be victorious in any area of our life, we need to be humble uh, in the presence of God. So humility is that, is that root virtue and uh, pride, that root vice that is the, at the top of every list when you consider these things. Then we talked about greed and generosity. That does not have anything to do with how much or how little money you have. Um, you can be greedy and, or generous and, and in and either one of those regards. Um, we talked about envy and joy, and I've, I've got a lot of feedback, and I'm good with it. It's good. Um, contentment may be um, a better side-by-side virtue for you than envy. I, I still go back to the, the thing that envy robs of me is joy. And if I can have joy in what you have, and I can have joy in what I have uh, and see both of them as the blessings that God has given to us, um, then I won't be envious of you. Um, I can rejoice with you um, over the good things that God does in your life. And then gluttony and temperance. Gluttony is the excessive um, indulgence of our appetites. Temperance is simply um, self-control by the Spirit's control in our life. And then we talked about anger and its corresponding virtue of patience. I could go a lot of different places. I've tried to, I've tried to key all of these in in Proverbs, um, but I could go a lot of different places in the Scripture, and I could go a lot of different places in Proverbs for our, our text this morning. But I've, I've kind of landed on Proverbs chapter 24, uh, beginning in verse 30. And this will address at least our vice subject for today, and we'll get into some other Scriptures when it comes to the virtue. I went by the field of the slothful. And by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. And then I looked and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. And this is the instruction that he received: Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. So the subject today, the vice today, when we, when we look at the vice and the virtue, the vice today is the vice of sloth or slothfulness, whichever one that you want to use. And sometimes you may hear folks use the word lazy in the place of sloth. But I promise you, at least I think this will be true, if I ask the question of this congregation this morning, is anybody here a lazy sloth? Nobody, everybody would say, not me. Not me. So we can just skip this one, right? Because sloth is not at the, at the top of our, our list as far as what we're guilty of. Um, I think, though, we might say it's not. In actuality, if we consider what all the Scripture has to say about sloth, I think it, we'll find that it's taken up residence in our life in more ways um, than we think it has. So I'm going to take a deeper look because the Scripture has a whole lot to say about it, especially in the book of Proverbs. The vice of sloth, what is it? Webster. We'll start with Webster. We've done this on every one of the words. Webster says this about sloth. Disinclination to work or exert oneself. Indolence. Laziness. Idleness. If you look up the biblical word, in fact there's some, a couple of words that are used. Slothful. Sluggard. Those are some of the words that the Bible uses, especially in the book of Proverbs. But if you look up those words, and as Strong's as concordance, strong concordance agrees with Webster, it is to be disinclined to work. It is to be disinclined to exert oneself. Um, but the word that's, that, that I had to look up myself is one we don't use very often, indolent, or indolence. I don't use that a lot, but it means, according to Webster, disliking or avoiding work. Disliking or avoiding work. Now, I like the fact that there's an "or" in that, because sometimes I dislike work or avoiding work. Um, I, th- th- there's a we can be guilty of this in in different kind of ways. Um, I don't always like work. Um, but I try not to avoid work, especially when I understand that it's essential. If, if we're truthful, though, the things that we don't like doing, we generally find a way to get out of doing them, amen? <laughs> we generally try to find a, w- a way to work around doing them. Another definition, and this came out of the Pocket Catholic Dictionary, who uh, the, the author was a man by the name of John Harden. He defines sloth as sluggishness of soul or boredom, because of the exertion necessary for the performance of a good work. And now when you consider good works, and he went a little bit further into the definition, but just look at that word, a good work. Sluggishness of soul because of an exertion that is necessary to do a good work. Now when we think about sloth, we always think about the physical work that's necessary, and that has, it has an application there. Um, but good work might not just be physical labor. Good work might be... Um, the mental exercise that we need to stay healthy It might be the relational exercise that we need to keep our relationships healthy It also might be the spiritual duties that are necessary to keep us spiritually healthy and strong So it could be any good work that we're talking about when you apply um, this vice of sloth and, um, and, and the simplest way that I heard it put when describing sloth is this And, and, and I love simplicity because I'm simple minded Two things when you describe what sloth is, um, it is failure to do and failure to care. Failure to do and failure to care. I'm not doing it and I don't care that I'm not doing it. And that's about as simply put as I think you can define it. So what does it do? And, and this is where the rubber meets the road because I think if you look at the definition, well we're bored with the definition, we know what the definition is and we ain't it. But if you look at what sloth actually does in our life, I think that, that we have to take a step back and say, well, maybe I am it. Maybe I have this vice attached to myself uh, in some areas of my life. Um, Proverbs describes more characteristics of sloth than I can cover, and I'm not even going to try. But I'm going to hit some of the high points of Scripture, and um, if you'll just walk with me through Proverbs. I kept them all but the last one in order. And, uh, of course, Zena always does a good job of getting them put on the screen. Um, But in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, it says this, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. There's that word. It means slothful. Consider her ways and be wise, which, having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. He said you need to consider what the ant does, how it prepares for the future. And then verse 9 says, How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Now we read that same uh, verse, that, those last two verses um, in our original text this morning. So Solomon has brought this up twice and said the same thing. Um, the, the last part of verse 11 Or or verse 11 itself is a little bit hard for us to follow. So shall your poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy one is an armed man. The New Living Translation translates that that verse like this. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. That's a good translation, I think. So what does sloth do in that? Consider the ant. She's getting ready. She knows the winter's coming, so she's getting ready in the harvest for the winter that's going to set in. If you don't consider her, If you continue to slumber, if you continue to sleep, then your poverty is going to come on you quickly. So here's what it does. It causes short-sightedness. It causes us to live in the moment and not consider the future. Now the Bible tells us not to worry about the future, but it does not tell us not to plan for the future. We're not to worry ourselves over tomorrow, but we are to plan. The prudent man foresees the dangers ahead and he makes preparations for it. But the vice of sloth will, will cause us to be short-sighted in our life. It'll cause us to live in this minute, in this moment, with no plans for tomorrow. Then look with me at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26. I'm actually going to use two verses here. And one's a jump ahead, and then we're going to go back um, some. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26. As vinegar to the teeth and as smoke to the eyes so is the sluggard to them that send him. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them that send him. And in nineteen twenty-four, A slothful man hideth his hand in his bosom and will not as much as bring it to his mouth again. Let me give you the New Living Translation of verse 26. Lazy people irritate their employers like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes. Now, I ain't never really, well, I guess I have. We've tried to hire some fellows to help us do some pool work before. And I can't stand to see a man leaning on a shovel when I'm shoveling. I can't stand to see a man kicking dirt when I'm moving dirt with my shovel. And, I'm, and, I, and I'll tighten them up. It irritates me when you are doing your part and somebody's not doing their part. But what a sloth does, it causes us to be unreliable. It causes us to be a liability um, to the people that are trusting us to, to do something. Not an asset, but a liability. It is an irritation. It's like vinegar on the teeth and smoke in the eyes. It irritates the one that sent us to do or expects us to do um, some good work. I remember a boss man years ago that came upstairs and told us we were fitting pipe too slow. And my coworker said... He said, I got two gears. If you don't like this one, you sure ain't going to like the next one. (laughs) Um, I had another one one day that was lining us up with his pencil like that. And I'm like, what are you doing? He said, I'm lining you up with that light pole so I can see if you're moving or not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He said, you're going too slow for my being. So that's what slothfulness will do to us. It'll make us irritable because we're unreliable. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 9. I'm trying to work through these very quickly because I want to get really to the heart of the issue this morning. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 9. I'm going to give you the King James Version first and then the New Living Translation because it takes less commentary. Um, He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. The New Living Translation says a lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. So here it is, It, 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 it causes wastefulness in our life. A slothful person is a waster of time. A, a slothful person is a waster of his talent. A, a slothful person is often a waster of the treasures that God has entrusted to him. These are the things that sloth, slothfulness calls in our life: Short-sighted, unreliable, um, wasteful. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 4. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 4. I'm turning with them. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. And this is one of my favorite ones. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13. The slothful man saith, there is a line without. I shall be slain in the streets. Now, I'm not having a New Living Translation of that. Let me tell you what it means. I can't go to work today because I might get hurt. I can't go to work. There's a line in the street. I can't go to work today because I might get hurt. Um, Slothfulness causes us to procrastinate. Now I'm meddling in my own life and in yours. Because here's what slothfulness will make us do. It'll make us put off what we know needs to be done, what ought to be done, what's right to be done. And what it'll also do is cause us to make excuses for not doing it. That's, That's what slothfulness does. It causes us to procrastinate put off and make excuse for not doing right things Proverbs chapter 26 verse 16 1st King James then New Living Twenty six sixteen. the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason New Living Translation lazy people consider them smarter than seven wise counselors so here it is that causes self-deception it causes self-deception um. that everything's going to be all right, that I can be like I am and everything's going to be all right. Um, I've watched a video several times that's, that people have posted on Facebook of this guy. And honestly, he looks like he, he's in his PJs every time he's posting, but he's got all the fancy equipment on. He's got a little earbuds and a little microphone. And he's just philosopher. He's, he's, a, he's a philosopher. He is telling everybody about how the world works, and he's also an atheist, and he takes a good bit of time just to pick apart Christianity and the Christian faith. But I will to tell you what I see when I look at the man. He's a lazy bum sitting at the house in his little corner of the world, thinking that he can fix all of the world's problems without ever putting his hand to the plow doing anything about him. I mean this is the perception I get. It may be completely wrong but I do know this about him. He's deceived himself especially about the Christian faith. Um, last one. Proverbs 21, 25. And I say this for last for purpose. Proverbs 21, 25. I backed up a little bit. The desire of the slothful killeth him for his hands refuse labor the new living translation says it like this despite their desires and um, in parentheses I look at that despite their desires to have more to do better the lazy will come to ruin for their hands refuse to work so it causes self-destruction it not only deceives us but it causes our own destruction let me say it like this. Useful thinking is only as good as useful doing. It ain't enough to think about what you want. You got to actually put your hand to doing what you want. Now, let's get into the, let's get into the meat. I'm through, with the, I'm through with the definitions, all right? I'm through with the, if you're bored with it up to now, let's get where the rubber meets the road. Because here's what we do with slothfulness. We treat it like it only applies to a physical work ethic. And I know most of you here. And I know most of you go to work. I know most of you have a job. I know most of you who can work that are not retired. You have, uh, if you are retired, you have. there has been that season in your life that you apply yourself. And even though you may not hold down a physical job now, as it pertains to your household, your, your garden, your critters, your whatever else, You've got a physical work ethic. You're not lazy in that sense. You're not a sluggard in that sense. Um, But but our problem with slothfulness is that's all that we apply it to is a physical work ethic. We do the same thing to gluttony. We apply it only to food. And you can be a gluttony a lot of different ways besides food. You can have the food nature and the gluttony of food completely conquered and be a full-blown glutton in another area. And we talked about some of those extravagance can be gluttony. Um, There's a lot of things that we can be guilty of in that. We do the same thing with sloth. I'm not physically lazy. I've got a good work ethic, so I'm not a sloth. But listen to me. Most of the things that we need in our life, most of the things that we want in our life, if it's good, if it's helpful, if it's precious, if if it's beneficial, if it's something that we need and want, that is for our good and that brings God glory. If we are apathetic, if we neglect it, if we're lazy, if we're slothful, we're going to destroy it. Because those things that are good, that are precious, that are important, that are beneficial to us, require our attention and care if we're going to have them and keep them. It ain't just about having a physical work ethic. It goes much deeper than that. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, another writing of Solomon says this. By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. You know what you have to do to cause a house to fall apart? Nothing. Nothing. You know what you have to do to let a vehicle waste away? Nothing. Let it sit. I, I used to love watching American Pickers and all that kind of stuff. I mean, they're cars, that the people, they go see these places and they come up to a car. Man, it's got a tree growing through the roof of it. It was running when we parked it. What happened? <laughs> Nothing. It got neglected, and there it stands. That's what Solomon said. By slothfulness, the building decays. By not taking care of it, by being apathetic, by being neglectful, by being slothful, by being lazy, it falls through. So listen to me very carefully. You can be slothful in your marriage, and your marriage will fall apart. You can be slothful in raising your family in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and you'll reap the consequences of that down the road. You can be slothful in your church, and your church will crumble because of your slothfulness, because of your apathy, because of your neglect, because of your indifference, because of your laziness. If you don't have a daily devotional life, you'll get weak in yourself spiritually. If you don't nurture yourself every day spiritually, you'll fall away. You'll backslide. You'll, you'll, you'll be more prone to temptation, you'll be more prone to failure, you'll be more prone to self-deception and to your own self-destruction. Um, we have a missional purpose on earth. God left, he has left us here as believers to be a witness to the world. You are, If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. And the Bible says those new creatures are ambassadors of Christ to go tell the world that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And if we don't put forth effort in that, we fail in our missional purpose. We do not do what God left us here to do. We can't be slothful in any of those areas. We can't can't neglect those. We can't be apathetic in those things. Because if we are, listen, if we are, remember that list. This is what sloth does to us. Sloth makes us short-sighted. We're not preparing for tomorrow. If you neglect your marriage... Long enough, there there will come that tomorrow when your marriage will be destroyed. If you neglect raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, long enough, there will come a day because you've been short-sighted, you've lived in the moment and not for the future. You'll see them fall away from their faith or from the faith that you might have once had. The short-sightedness, the, the being unreliable. If you're unreliable as a husband, unreliable as a wife, unreliable as a father, unreliable as a mother, unreliable as an employee, if you become any of those things, it'll cost you down the road. It'll, it makes you procrastinate. It makes you wasteful. It makes you self-deceiving and self-destruction. All of those, and I believe that's why. In fact, I think I can, I can take this vice um, back to our lives and say, that because we have not considered ourselves be slothful but we indeed have been apathetic neglectful and indifferent about a lot of things that are very important that's why marriages are falling apart that's why families are falling apart That's why the church world is in a spin, uh, a a free fall right now. Church attendance is declining across the board. Uh, Churches are shutting down in record numbers. Men are not answering the call to preach like they used to, and um, and we got a shortage of pastors now. That'll be a crisis in another few years. And that's what what's wrong. Sloth. That's what's wrong. We're lazy and indifferent. We're apathetic. In some of the most important areas of our life and our culture and I'm convinced that a lot of our problems a lot of the pressure that we have in life a lot of the, a lot of the pain that we endure and a lot of the poverty not, not, not material poverty, poverty but poverty uh, of relationships um, poverty spiritually a lot of that is related to this whole vice of being slothful So what's the cure? Because I'm going to tell you, it's real easy to be a sloth. You know, I, I, I was going to bring it into the message, but I, I didn't want to bore you with all those details either. But you know, there's an animal that they call a sloth. They call a sloth. Let me chase the rabbit for a second. <laughs> My granddad told me a story one time. He said when they were young boys, um, one of them, was coming home down a long dirt road one night and had a lantern in his hand, and he said that he saw a thing hanging on a tree branch, upside down, just hanging there. He ran all the way home, told his brothers and his cousins, and they decided the next night they'd go back out and see if it was there. The fellow that saw the original one decided that they was going to laugh at him if they was not nothing hanging in that tree. And so he left ahead of him and climbed a tree and hung from the limb himself upside down. Because a lantern don't reveal a whole lot at night. Just showed. He said he dressed himself up and went and hung on the tree branch. And he saw him coming down the road with a lantern. He said the fella, one of the fellas held the lantern up and said, I forget the guy's name, Oh, Jim, what line? But he said there was one, there's two. <laughs> and he said his cousin fell out of the tree then. Amen. The slow, I read that they move one or 0.15 miles per hour. That's getting it, ain't it? <laughs> they sleep 90% of their life away. Their, their, their metabolism slows down to the point they can actually go underwater for like 40 minutes. Don't take a lot for them to survive. What's, you don't have to do anything, all it takes is nothing. To be a sloth. Let apathy, let indifference, let neglect take over. But you know what happens then? Proverbs chapter 24 verse 31, when, 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 when Solomon said, I walked by the vineyard of the sluggard. And, and, and I saw that it was grown over with thorns and that nettles. Weeds covered it and the wall was broken down. Now, what did he have to do to get that, What did he have to do to get the vineyard in that shape? Nothing. That was the problem. He did nothing. You don't have to do nothing to be a sloth. But the consequences of it is everything falls down. The briars take over, the brambles take over, the, the walls are broken down. So it's easy to be a sloth, but it takes some effort to go back and clean up the mess, the slothfulness cost us to root out the briars and the brambles and to replant something virtuous. And I believe that virtue is zeal. Sloth is a vice. Virtue, the virtue is zeal. Now, very quickly go into Webster's definition of zeal. It says this, intense enthusiasm, as in working for a cause. Ardent endeavor or devotion, fervor, passion. I looked up the Greek word, the New Testament word for zeal. in the New Testament Greek is a word, and I don't, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I don't, probably don't always pronounce these words as they should be pronounced. But the, but the Greek word, is, I think it's 2205 in Strong's Concordance, is zealos, z e l. OS. If we have another grandchild, it's, it's going to be named Zelos, so y'all just get over it. We're we running out of Z, so I've got to find all of them I can wrap my hands around, all right. But it actually comes from a root, which is the word above it, Zeo. We can name a child that too. Zelos and Zeo if it's twins. Because they mean, I'm trying to get y'all's attention, all right? Because they mean the same thing it means to be hot, it means to glow. That's the New Testament word for zeal. So let me ask you this. I ask you, do you have any sloth? Do you have any zeal? What is it about your life that fires you up? What is it about your life that makes you burn hot with passion, not angry passion, but that makes you passionate about getting something um, accomplished, getting something done, obtaining uh, some goal? What is it that makes you, we use that term often, boy, I'm fired up. I'm fired up. I'm fired up about what, though? What are we fired up about? What, what are we zealous about? What are we passionate about having? Uh, well, I'm zealous about building a new house. Ain't nothing wrong with being zealous about building a new house. Um, houses are good, but how zealous are you about building a home? Because you can have a house without a home. You can have a big, beautiful house. Without the kind of family dynamic that God would intend for you to have in a home with a husband and wife and children. You understand what I'm saying? You can be zealous about building that house and not zealous about building your home. What fires you up the most? I'm fired up to be a husband. I'm fired up to be a father. I'm fired up to be a grandfather. I'm fired up to be the kind of man that God has called me to be in my family. That's building a home. Well... You know, I just want to get to that place in my life where I've got the kind of money that I'm comfortable. Nothing wrong with that. God's not opposed us to us having money. He's not opposed us to us being wealthy. Um, although I, sometimes I wonder why He blesses us, because sometimes it, it seems like the more He blesses us, the more apathetic and indifferent we get towards Him. But He does. He blesses. He gives. But instead of, instead of more money, how about let me apply myself to a better marriage. Instead of, because we get fired, and I mean, this is one I hear often. They, folks fired up about sports, and I don't care what kind of sports you're talking about. I'm fired up about deer hunting already. I was telling Rusty, I we got two, I ain't showing nobody no pictures, because Timmy Barber ain't in the club, but he'll go next door and kill him. But I'm already fired up, man. I got two on the hit list this year. That excites me. I'm fired up about that. We get fired up about sports. We get fired up when Atlanta gets on the roll. And then when they get off the roll, we, I'm done with the breeze. They do that to us frequently in Georgia. We get fired up. Nothing wrong with that. Listen, God wants us to enjoy life. I'm not angry with anybody about getting fired. I don't get fired up about ball sports because I don't understand them and I can't play them. I get fired up about deer hunting because I know a little bit about it. But what about your spiritual health and well-being? I'm fired up about my relationship with Jesus. I want it to get deeper, stronger. I want to be more passionate. You know, I... I, my wife will shout you down at a ball game. She she she's one of them excited ones. I I mean I when I was watching my kids play ball, I just it has, that just ain't my thing. All right. They'd hit a home run and Cindy get mad at me because I wasn't jumping up and down shouting. I'm like I'm I'm shouting on the inside. <laughs> I ain't I ain't Pentecostal at the at the football stadium. I'm okay. Get fired up there. Be a a, a good fan. Be a better fan than I was. But don't just get fired up there and not get fired up about your spiritual life. Be fired up about sports, but be fired up about spiritual health and well-being. We got ambitions in our life of, of career, man I I'm, I'm telling you I wish I had had the mentality that some of you've got in my younger years although God had a calling on my life I don't have any doubt I'm right where I need to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing I ain't had no plans man I was living I was living one day to the next one job to the next I didn't have no plans to further a career so I applaud you that that you got goals and that you're that you're making those goals I see um I see some of you that are still in your late 30s and 40s knocking out college. Man, I couldn't do that in my 20s. I ain't even going to try that now. It's, It's good to be fired up about your career. But do you know the last thing Jesus told us before he left this world is to go into all the nations and make disciples? The Great Commission applies to every member of this church this morning. Our responsibility is to introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can be saved. So get fired up about your career, but get fired up about the Great Commission. How can I engage myself in reaching the lost for Jesus? Where can I give? Where can I go? What can I do? How can I help? Um, Practice sharing your own personal testimony This is a big deal for folks these days. I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I, I just want to find what it is that makes me happy, and I want to do it with all my heart. I want to be happy too. But, but more than the Scripture telling me to be happy, the Scripture tells me to be holy. Personal holiness is a big deal. Because we speak a lot louder with our life than we speak with our lips. In fact, sometimes what we say with our lips is undermined by the life we live and we did more harm than we did good. The, the reason the Bible tells us to work to, to live lives that have high standards and personal holiness is not because we're saved by our works. It's because when we speak one thing and do another, we become hypocritical to the world that needs a witness from us that's consistent. Personal holiness is a big deal. I ain't, Listen, Jesus already paid the price for my sin. I ain't working my way to heaven. He done won that battle for me. But if I'm going to be the witness to the world that i got to be, I've got to not, I, I can't just talk the talk. I've got to learn to walk it as best I can in the eyes of the world. That's what personal holiness is all about. So that's what the virtue of zeal is. What does it do? Um, let me, let me, I'm going to run through this real quickly. There's a word in Proverbs, and I found this to be very interesting. It is often used in contrast to the vice of sloth. I'm not going to ask you to turn there because I'm going to run through them real quickly. There's a word in Proverbs, and you see this a lot in Proverbs. There's, there's a comparison and a contrast going on. Um, he paints a picture of one kind of man, then another kind of man. It's interesting to me that, that in a lot of verses in the book of Proverbs, I'm just going to give you a short list, but in a lot of verses in the book of Proverbs that deal with being a sluggard or being slothful, there's another word that comes into play in the King James Version. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack. That's a lazy hand. A man becomes poor when he deals with a lazy hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24, The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. The hand of the diligent will be leaders, but the hand of the slothful will be enslaved. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 27, The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in honey, but the substance of the diligent man it's precious. Now, boy, I don't know how many times I got whipping when I was young and for killing something I didn't intend to eat. Y'all know why I didn't eat it? I didn't feel like cleaning it. I don't know how many squirrels I shot. What <sharp> do <inhale> well, you do to that squirrel? I throw him away. Now, my daddy's killing squirrels in his pecan tree, and he ain't eating them. The slothful man is wasteful. But whatever a diligent man has, it's precious to him. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Now, let me boil it all down to you like this. Zeal is what's in your heart. You understand that? Zeal is something in the heart. Zeal is, that fires me up. That makes me passionate. Um, that sets my soul on fire and makes me want to do something about it. The diligence is the doing something about it. See, zeal is in the heart. That zeal burns like a fire in us for whatever is important to us. Right? If it's important to us, it fires us up on the inside. It creates a passion within us. It creates a desire within us. That's what zeal does in the heart and in the mind, but diligence is in our hands. Zeal is in our heart, but diligence is in our hand. And what diligence does is it takes zeal and puts his hand on the plow and does work. Because it ain't enough just to think right. That's an important first step. It ain't, it ain't, listen, it ain't enough just to want better. Even though that can be considered zeal, but zeal. That works is when it is diligent to put the plow in its hands and move forward. So zeal that has diligence attached to it is what it takes to be successful in the things that matter to you. So let me boil it all down like this. How do you get it? How do you get zeal? How do you get zeal in your life? It, and that, It's pretty simple really, but you got to start with this. First, got to want it. Do you want zeal? Well, here's how you get zeal. You just take a step back and consider what's the most important in your life. You take a step back and consider the most important elements and attributes of your life. you got to have an awakening in your conscience to what is really important for zeal in the the most critical areas in your life. You might already have zeal for a lot of things, but you might not have any zeal for the most important things. I mean let's just be real honest alright. And I'm, I'm not just. I ain't preaching to you. I ain't preaching at you. I'm telling you I got the same problems. I got a lot of zeal and diligence. For a lot of things. That matter a lot less. Than many other things. You follow me? I mean, I, I, I can put in a lot of time. I can put in a lot of money. I can put in a lot of effort into killing the trophy to hang on my wall. Now, I don't think there's nothing wrong with that unless I'm neglecting some things that are more weighty than that. Now, if I can do both, more power to me but if I'm letting one come in front of the other then I need to lay down my gun I'm telling you this morning your spiritual health and maturity is is critically important in your life and if you don't realize that you'll never have any zeal for it do you hear what I'm saying? if you are going to be spiritually healthy and mature putting your head on the nightstand at night and doing this ain't going to get this in you. It don't come into you by osmosis. All right? You can't get what you need by just listening to me preach on Sunday morning. You've got to have a daily diet of this. This is our daily bread. If you're going to grow spiritually, if you're going to mature, if you're going to be healthy, you gotta spend time with God. You gotta spend time in his word. You gotta spend time in prayer. You gotta spend time doing the things that he's called you to do for your own personal spiritual life. If you want a spiritual marriage, I, I know a lot of folks who want a good, strong, healthy marriage. Um And listen, Cindy and I ain't got a perfect marriage, but I'll put ours up against anybody. I think it's pretty good. It's a lot better than it was, and and it's going to get better because we're both committed to that, and we decided that about 15 years ago that we didn't want to get to the end of 50 years of marriage and just talk about how we made it. We want to talk about how much fun we had in the process and how mutually satisfying it was for both of us in the process. But if you want that kind of marriage, and I have people tell me, I wish I had what you and Cindy had. You can't get it by wishing for it you got to realize that it's this important. And I, we realized this a long time ago. If we don't get a handle on some of the problems in our marriage, we're not going to be married much longer. I'm not going to be in ministry anymore. Our kids are going to uh, be separated from one or the other of us part of the week. And that's too important for us to mess it up. That couples class I teach, that's principles that I learned um, that we learned while we read books and studied books and looked in God's Word and tried to make application ourselves and what it looked like in our life. That's what I share in there. Because my marriage is important. My family is important. And if I, don't, if I want it to be what Christ intended for it to be, to love Christ like He loves the church, and for my wife to have the reverence and respect for me um, that I need in my life, then i got to put forth the time, the effort, the resources to make it. uh, I've got to have zeal for it. But then i got to put my hand on the plow and do something about it. I'm going to tell you what this church needs. It needs a bunch of folks fired up about the ministry of this church. I know we're good now. And I think about this all the time. I don't know why we've been blessed the way we've been blessed. God's been good to us. There's some pastors that are doing this morning. What I'm telling you, I'd be done throwed up the white flag and surrender and said, I quit, I can't do this anymore because they're fighting real battles. I don't know that I can take that. Maybe that's why God gave me a healthy church because he knows that my psyche couldn't stand it. But there's pastors right now that are struggling to get five, ten people in the building. And they're good men. They're preaching the word. There ain't nothing wrong with their preaching. Ain't nothing wrong with them. What's wrong is what's in the pews. There's no zeal. There's no enthusiasm. There's no diligence. Nobody wants to do anything. They want him to do everything. I don't pastor a church like that, but there's a lot of guys that are. But I'm not ignorant enough to think that what we got right now will just run right on. Just like it is. It won't. If we get slothful, if we get indifferent, if we get apathetic, if we lack zeal for this church and its ministry, it'll die just like every other church that used to be strong that no longer is. What we got to have is people saying, man, I see that children's ministry. I need to be a part of that. I see this, I see that, and I, I want to make the church that God placed me in Healthy and growing and full of love. See, all of those things, your spiritual health and maturity, your your marriage, your family, this church and its ministry, all of those things have eternal implications. Do you you hear what I'm saying? I, I ain't taking my deer heads to heaven. I don't think. I'm still talking to him. Maybe a picture anyway. But I hear what I'm saying to you. We're working our behinds off. We are full of zeal for a lot of things that when we draw our last breath, we're going to look at and say, like Solomon said, man, vanity and vexation of the Spirit. I ain't taking that with me. I wonder what I've laid up on the other side. Because that's what Jesus said. You, and you can do both. It ain't that you can't have what this world is offering, but you can't do it to the neglect of what the other world promises. Man, I've been longer than I anticipated. Let me just give you three final points, three keys. First, you've got to want it, and you're never going to want it until you realize how important it is. But after you got that zeal in your heart, what next? Three keys, I believe, to physical and spiritual zeal. Wake up. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 said, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Wake up. Understand, look, we're going waste too much time. Second, go to work. If you're not putting anything into it, it's very likely you're not going to get anything out of it. I actually believe the entitlement mentality in America has fed the vice of sloth. Because a lot of people have the mentality, I ain't got to do nothing, I still get something. That's going to run out one day. It's just exactly what the scripture said. The slothful man is going to be overcome one day like a man who got overcome by an armed robber. Poverty is going to come just that quickly. Go to work. Go to work on your marriage. Go to work on your family. Go to work uh, in your church. Go to work in your daily devotional life. And then work diligently. And and the scripture uses another term in Colossians chapter, I believe it's chapter 3 verse 23, that I probably should have used. It says this, And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive your reward. Give it all you got and see what kind of return you'll get from it. Let's stand together as our musicians come. Lord, I pray that your word has accomplished in our hearts what you sent it to do. I, I, I can surely see some areas of my life where I have been slothful. And some things that matter. And um, I pray, God, that you would just settle a conviction upon all of our hearts this morning. Uh, I, the first thing we've got to do is recognize, and it would be a good idea for all of us to sit down sometime today, privately or with our spouses, and make a list of the most important things in our life. And I promise, if, if, Lord, you know, if we're real honest, we'll see that we're spending a lot of time on some things that matter far less than some things that we're completely neglecting. I pray that you would create in our heart a zeal, then, God, help us to put our hands to the work. Be diligent. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And so help us to do heartily as unto the Lord. Lord, I know this hasn't been in any sense of the word an evangelistic message, but I can't let a service come to a close. asking you to speak to the heart of the lost that are here. Anybody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior maybe they've been procrastinating maybe they've been putting it off maybe they've looked at this life like they're going to have every opportunity there's some folks lying in hospital beds this morning never dreamed their life was going to end this way this soon this is not a day to put off what we know that we need to do and so if there's one here lost doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior you've made the gospel so simple you died for our sins you were buried and you rose again and anyone willing to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead your word says they'll be saved and so I pray that you would convict of sin and call people to Christ this morning and anything and everything that you've done that has any eternal significance and value in this place, God, I give you the glory and the honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, do you need to come? Draw me close to you.